I'm Madison Leopold with Leopold Cattle Company in West Columbia, Texas. You're listening to the latest news in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. I've got another episode of Texas Ag Today loaded up and ready to roll for you. All you've got to do is jump on in with me and buckle up. We're going to take a ride around the Lone Star State as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the nation, Texas agriculture. I'm Kerry Martin. I'm your host along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the Piney Woods of East Texas to the Rocky Ranges of the Trans-Pecos. And from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. There's going to be a lot of youth livestock shows and similar activities taking place in the Texas High Plains in the coming weeks. I'm James Hunt, and coming up on Texas Ag Today, we'll talk about the lasting benefit of youth programs. The role of family farms in American agriculture. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have findings from a USDA report on America's farms and ranches for the 2022 calendar year, just ahead on Texas Ag Today. Agricultural interests here in the Coastal Bend are gearing up for 2024. This is Harvey Buring reporting from the Corpus Christi area. We'll have those stories plus Texas wildlife news and a complete look at the markets all coming up. Forage supplies are low all across Texas as a second year of summer drought kept the grass from growing. The climate in southwest Texas is already dry, so ranchers there depend on every drop of rainfall they can get. Warren Cude has cattle and sheep near Fort Stockton. Well, you know, we went through a terrible, uh, this was the second summer that we'd actually gone through uh, without any measurable rainfall, so we actually went two growing cycles or two years without being able to grow a lot of grass. We were very fortunate in October that we received uh, way above normal rainfall. Uh, ended up uh, around six inches, which we were very blessed to have that. But uh, we should go through and be able to raise some winter weeds is what we're hoping. We didn't really have a lot of time to, to grow uh, any native grasses, but at least we've got some moisture base back into the ground. It's kind of scary right now, depending on which uh, group of meteorologists you talk to. Some are saying a cold, uh, wet winter, and then there's another group saying that it's going to be uh, possibly be a dry and warmer than normal winter so but again we, we feel very blessed with the with the moisture we did receive in october the annual rainfall in that area is 12 to 14 inches but in october cude says they got a half year's rainfall in just three weeks things look a bit different when you look at north central texas and the rolling plains michael white farms and raises cattle in wilbarker county near vernon he says the biggest issue they have there is stockpond water 
Well, everything kind of in our area is looking pretty good. We do have some forage there. A lot of winter wheat pasture has come up good and growing well. Problem is we, we just need a little more rain for, with some runoff capabilities to catch some stock pond water. That's, that's where our shortage is right now up in our area. And I know that's probably on both sides of us, so on surrounding counties with the same type of problems. But as far as winter forage, we're looking pretty good. We're starting to see more cattle get out on winter pastures. And uh, like I said, if you have the water availability, you're looking pretty good. And on the farming end of his operation, White says they'll probably cut back on cotton acreage after two years of low cotton prices. I would say probably some of the things that are making our decisions are, yes, probably the input cost. Is we're, we're shifting more of our cotton ground probably to wheat ground, uh, planting more wheat acres. And, uh, of course, I'm not so sure how smart that is, being the wheat prices have taken a tumble a little bit. But we're, we're also, you know, uh, we're heavily involved with cattle, so that, that helps up make up a difference for us. But we'll cut our cotton acreage back some, and I think that's going to probably be throughout our county too. Michael White in Wilbarger County. There are a lot of youth programs in agriculture. James Hunt takes a look at the lasting benefits of these programs. We are about to enter a big time for young people in the Texas High Plains with a lot of youth livestock shows and other events taking place all around the region in the next few weeks. In a recent conversation with me, Colby Ferguson of the Texas Pork Producers Association talked about the long-term impact of these activities. One thing I love about the swine industry, the cattle industry, the sheep industry, the goat industry is the youth component of it. If you go and talk to any commercial entity, whether you talk to a cattle feeders or you talk to a, a commercial swine operation, a veterinarian clinic, a, whoever that works in livestock, and you check with those employees and ask them, hey, were you ever involved in livestock? And did you ever show anything at the county fair or at the state fair? 99% of them are going to say, yeah, I had hogs. You know, I showed pigs when I was in 4-H and FFA or I showed cattle or whatnot. What that is, is that not everybody knows what's going on in agriculture. Not everybody grows up on a farm. And so what you have is this opportunity for anybody to go to school, be involved in the FFA program, be involved in the 4-H program, and be able to participate, whether you live in a city, whether you live out in the county, in a rural area, you can participate, you can grow your love for that industry, and then parlay that into a job in the future. So I look at the youth programs as our training ground for the future leaders of the industry. Once again, that was Colby Ferguson, Executive Director of the Texas Pork Producers Association. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Family farms still make up a big part of American agriculture. Tom Nicoletti has the story. The latest edition of the U.S. Department of Agriculture's annual America's Farms and Ranches at a Glance report reveals data from farm and ranch size to income. Family farms still play a big role in American agriculture, according to Catherine Lacey, an economic researcher at USDA. Small family farms made up 88% of the farm count and operated 46% of the farmland, but generated only 19% of the total value of production. Annually, the report studies various demographic, economic, and production information. This year's report studied findings from calendar year 2022. 
There are two new sections in this year's edition. The first section reports usage of credit by lender type and farm size. The second section provides information on the differences and characteristics of farm operations by the rate and ethnicity of the farm operators. Large-scale family farms dominate the production of most commodities, including beef, hogs, cash grains and soybeans, cotton, dairy, and specialty crops. In the remaining two commodities, poultry and eggs, and hay, small family farms and mid-sized family farms dominate the production. The Department of Agriculture Economic Researcher also highlights the non-family farms category. The value of production for non-family farms was less than 20% for all commodities. If you compare this report to last year's edition, you will notice the value of hog production and specialty crop production increased for large-scale family farms and decreased for non-family farms. However, the value of production shares in 2022 was similar to the shares seen in 2019 and 2020. The share of farms with a low-risk operating profit margin varied by farm size in 2022. That is Catherine Lacey, an economic researcher with the U.S. Department of Agriculture. I'm Tom Nicoletti at the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Farmers and ranchers in the Texas Coastal Bend are gearing up for 2024. Harvey Buring has this update from Corpus Christi. Well, farmers and ranchers are often referred to as the eternal optimist, and that certainly seems to be the case as we have 2023 drawing to a close. Many of the farmers that I've visited with are looking forward to a better year in 2024, and that's largely because moisture conditions have improved across our area. Rainfall events this fall really haven't been all that heavy but rather they've been that slow and gradual type of rainfall that occurs over two or three days and soaks the ground to the point where there's very little runoff. Now, our row crop farmers were busy applying fertilizer starting back in November, and through those good working days in early December, many of them have reported that they have completed the process of putting fertilizer on all of their cropland acres, A few others still have a portion of their work remaining, but applying fertilizer to all their acres is a positive sign in itself because farmers do not like to spend money on expensive fertilizer when the soil is dry and the outlook for rainfall in the spring is very low. Now, ranchers in our area are also looking forward to another good year with improved pasture and rangeland conditions. They are also hoping that this strong cattle market will continue for another year and that they will have a very profitable 2024 as well. And of course, youth are always excited this time of the year because the new year means that junior livestock show season will start here around the coastal bend. And those FFA and 4-H members that have been raising livestock projects will have a busy month ahead preparing and showing their animals. Reporting for Texas Ag Today from the coastal bend area, this has been Harvey Buring. The public can now weigh in on a proposal to create several new chronic wasting disease zones. I'm Jessica Dolmel, and I'll have more coming up on Texas Ag Today. And the equine microbiome is a new area of research on horses. Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today.
After my first car accident, I feared the biggest damage would be to my wallet. I expected a mountain of bills and a long, drawn-out process. But my Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent was there when I needed her and helped me get back on my feet and in my car in no time. Instead of a hassle, I got reassurance and a quick recovery. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to find an agent who's there when you need them most. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. The equine microbiome is the type and number of organisms involved in certain systems of the horse. Dr. Bob Judd says this is a new area of research on horses. I have already talked about the microbiome of the gastrointestinal tract previously, and today I am talking about the respiratory tract. Researchers at the University of Calgary indicate in the horse publication that the microbiome of the upper and lower respiratory tracts are the gatekeepers to respiratory health. Normal bacteria were found to be about the same percentage in normal horses, but horses with asthma were found to have increased numbers of streptococcus bacteria, although this does not indicate asthma has an infectious component. In fact, the researchers found that overall asthmatic horses had lower bacteria loads in the lower respiratory tract than normal horses. And this could indicate that these asthmatic horses had less exposure to germs in the environment as foals. The group also showed that treatment with corticosteroids decreased microbial diversity in the bacteria present, but had no effect on fungi. A study in China indicated that donkeys hauled 21 hours in an open-top truck had increases in some bacteria and decreases in others, indicating this hauling likely could predispose the donkeys to respiratory disease. Researchers at Texas A&M found that horses with nasopharyngeal cicatrix formation had a significantly different microbiome than normal horses. This disease occurs mostly in the Gulf Coast states, and the cause is unknown, but studying the microbiome may give us an answer. In Canada, researchers found the noses of horses infected with equine herpes virus, one, had higher numbers of proteobacteria and lower numbers of other common bacteria, and overall had less bacterial diversity. I'm Dr. Bob Judd on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The public can now weigh in on a proposal to create several new chronic wasting disease zones. Jessica Domel has the details in today's Wildlife Report. The Texas Parks and Wildlife Department is now accepting comments on a proposal to create several new chronic wasting disease containment and surveillance zones following the detection of the neurological deer disease in wild and captive deer over the past few months. The proposal would create new CWD surveillance zones in Cherokee and Kimball counties and would expand an existing zone in Medina County. According to TPWD, the zones would include all properties that are wholly or partially within two miles of the premises where CWD has been detected in a deer breeding facility. There's also potential for new zones in Kerr and Coleman counties. According to the Texas Register, TPWD is awaiting confirmation of test results for 14-month-old white-tailed deer that is believed to have CWD in a research facility at the Kerr Wildlife Management Area in Kerr County. All of the deer at the facility have been euthanized and tested for the disease. TPWD is proposing the zone around the research facility as a precaution as the transmission pathway for CWD and the agent for it are unknown. The proposed zone in Coleman County is the result of the detection of CWD in a hunter-harvested free-ranging deer. 
Both containment and surveillance zones require hunters in that zone to take their deer or any other CWD-susceptible species they harvest to a CWD check station to be tested before leaving the zone. The public can comment on the proposed zones through 5 p.m. January 24th on the TPWD website. The Parks and Wildlife Commission is expected to consider the new zones at their January meeting. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. It's time to check the markets. We'll be back with a complete look at the livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. Texas Farm Bureau has served farm families in rural Texas for nearly 90 years. We're pleased to offer new affordable health care coverage choices for all Texans through Texas Farm Bureau Health Plans. You do not need to be a member to inquire and apply. Plans are available anytime. There is no open enrollment period. Our United Healthcare Choice Plus network of providers is one of the largest available. For more information about the different plans, how to apply, or to get a quote for you, your family, or your small business, visit tfbhealth.com. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. Friday was the last trading day of 2023, and we closed it out mostly lower in our agricultural markets. Cotton was about the only gain that we saw in the live cattle futures. We were lower on all except the nearby December contract. Of course, it was going off the board on Friday, and it actually closed near the cash price, which is something we don't always see in live cattle futures. December live cattle up 247, closing at 173.67. February down 42, 168.50. April live cattle down two, closing at 172.25. Feeders were lower as well. January feeder cattle down 17, 222.30. March down two, 223.10, with April down two at 228.90. Cash-fed cattle sales, slow to come in last week, but we did wrap up the week selling cattle at 172 here in the Southern Plains. Up north, they sold them at 172 to 173 live, dressed sales at 273. Those prices about a dollar higher on the live side, three dollars higher on the dressed cattle. Boxed beef was mixed Friday choice down 241 at 288.87, select up a dollar 20. 260.44. Now let's check those auction barns. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. Jody Fry and Benny Cox put on great sales each week in San Angelo. Sheep and goats on Tuesday, cattle on Thursday. Let's review with Jody Fry how that last cattle sale turned out. Jody? Market was good. A good way to end the new year. 680 head day, but we had that weather change. A reminder, that was the last cattle sale for 2023. The first cattle sale will be on January the 4th. Better quality steers, four to 600 pounds from $2 all the way up to a high of near 290 mostly 220 to 250 Better quality heifers, four to 600 pounds, 185 all the way up to a high of 250 mostly 210 to 225 Slaughter cows, average to high 
high yielding, 73 to 87. Still some of those highest yielding slaughter cows, 88 to 96. Thin or very low yielding cows, including some of the longhorn cows from 55 to 70. Slaughter bulls average the high yielding from 88 to a dollar. Just a few of those highest yielding slaughter bulls today from 103 to a high of 111. Bread cows uh, had one group of young to solid mouth heavy bread cows, black and black white face. That group brought 1850. Good. Jody, tell everybody how to get a hold of you. You bet. We'll be there at the office, 325-653-3371. My mobile phone's 234-7895. I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you, Larry. And neighbor, thank you too. Jody and Benny will be back with us on January 4th for the cattle sale. I believe January the 9th, the Tuesday, for the sheep and goat sale. You've been listening to me. Don't forget, my name's Larry Marble on Walking the Pens, Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. You're doing so right this second on Texas Ag Today. Thanks, Larry. Back over to the futures market now. We're lean hogs finished lower on Friday. February hogs down 47, 67, 97. April down 15, 74, 85. Class 3 milk was steady with December milk unchanged, 16, 11, 100 weight. January milk unchanged at 15, 40, 100. The cotton market did manage to eke out a slight gain to wrap up the trading year. An interesting statistic, if you look at the opening tick of the nearby cotton contract back in January, first day of the year, and you look at the closing price as of Friday, there's only a 2.45 cent or about a 2.5 cent difference between those two prices. So in the span of 12 months, you didn't see the cotton market move very much at all. We close things out on Friday with March cotton up five points, 81 cents even. May up 25 points, 82.15. July up 41 at 82.83. Corn and wheat both drifted lower with no fresh news to move the market. March corn down three, 471 and a quarter. May corn down two and a half at 484 a bushel. Wheat market, same thing. No news in the market. Prices just drifted lower in a very light holiday volume type of trade. March Kansas City wheat down one and three quarters, 642 a bushel. March Chicago wheat down three and a half at 628 a bushel. In the energy markets, February natural gas was down six cents, 249. February West Texas crude down 30 at 71.47 a barrel. The financial markets on Friday afternoon were slightly lower. The Dow down 32 points, 37,677. The NASDAQ down 64 at 15,030. The S&P down 10 at 4,772. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this episode of Texas Ag Today. I'm Kerry Martin. Hope to see you back here next time as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the U.S. of A., Texas Agriculture. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Thank you.